0: We the best is cast with the left twist. Pat fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list.
1: Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. Uh. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of On the Guest List with Fox trying to get down White Sox Dave, Kenny, Car and Dante live here on Adobe Radio with you. As always, from the band is your boy Colin. We got Kenny Carkey in the motherfucking building. We got Dave in between New York and Chicago. Dante is in New England for the Patriots game. Those two guys are off in their own world. For Adobe this week, we're sticking me and Kenny. The music boys are in the building. We're handling it. Kenny Carkeet, how the fuck are you, babe? OGs, baby. Doing OGs. good, man. We're OPOG. OPOG, baby. Uh, this week, huge, huge, huge interview. This is one that we weren't even expecting to ever really get or go through anything like that. But we have one of the masters of the horror film genre an amazing, amazing, amazing composer. He's created some of the world's greatest film compositions. Mr. John Carpenter is on the guest list today. Really like one of the most out there fucking like dream list guests for us. I did the interview with Dante from a fucking hotel room in Cape May, New Jersey the conversation really centered around music and the cinematic kind of landscapes that he creates for his films with his scores, because he makes them all, which I thought was like really interesting, but just asking him about, you know, do you create the score first? Do you have an idea of what you want to going in? And he literally was like, no, it's all an afterthought. The man's a genius. And it was a really, really interesting conversation. One of the things that I really enjoyed about it too, was Dante brought up, the fact that Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, used to listen to the Halloween theme song before every single game. And John Carpenter <laughs> so was like, yeah, he understood the character. He's a stone cold fucking killer. And I was yeah, like... "True." Bro, and I said to John, I was like, do you think that's kind of a reach like, uh, of an extrapolation there because you're just playing basketball? (laughs) (laughs) But it, it was a really, really, really amazing interview, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. We also have a bunch of music news to cover on the list, off the list, what the fuck we've been listening to, a bunch of bullshit. Me and Kenny here for the ride. Let's go into our interview with John Carpenter, the creator of Halloween. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list today, you may know him from movies like Escape from New York, The Fog, Assault on Precinct 13, or the infamous Halloween series. He has a new edition of the series coming out called Halloween Kills on October 15th. We are happy to have Mr. John Carpenter in the building. John, how are you today, buddy?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm great, man. We're very, very, very happy to have you here. First question here is, after 43 years... Be completely honest with me. Did you expect to still be making Halloween movies?
2: Absolutely not.
1: Absolutely I had no clue. <laughs> oh, my God. And it, it started out as such a cult classic, and it's just become this whole thing. But, I mean, Halloween Kills drops this month. You know, how, how does it feel to be dropping another film in the series?
2: Amazing, okay? And it's just unexpected, but it's, uh, it's so great. Uh, I love it, especially because I get paid.
1: That's the most important part in all of this—is getting paid, <laughs> isn't that right, Dante? <laughs> that's
3: the name of the game. I, I respect the honesty.
1: Yeah, that's what we're here for. So, like, looking at it, we're going to talk a lot about a lot about the the movies, but I'm also extremely interested in the musical side of things because I know you've been releasing albums recently. Obviously, the Halloween theme and like Escape from New York soundtrack is is such a large part of your career but I kind of want to start from the beginning when it comes to the musical side of things. When you first started scoring your own movies and doing things for Halloween, was that more out of necessity for budget, or was that more of a, a passionate part of what you were doing?
2: That was necessity for budget. It started <laughs> uh, when I was a student filmmaker, and uh, we had no budgets. We had no money. So we each had to do everything. I started uh, composing music. How long comes... Uh, low budget filmmaking and the same problem is there no money so i uh, i did the score for halloween three days it took me three days to do it
1: just three days
2: that's incredible
1: so what, what was the magic moment like when the halloween theme came out like did you center the entire kind of universe of the the film around the main theme or was that just a piece of art that you created and it wound up being this legendary aspect of the movie
2: it was all an afterthought. I had no idea what it was going to do in terms of the music. But that was a piece that I called up, and uh, it, it worked out pretty well.
3: Uh, <laughs> I, I would say so, John. I think it's the most epic and famous score from any horror movie ever.
2: Oh, thanks. Thank you. So you know, great. It, uh, Psycho is probably more famous. I
3: don't know, and honestly. Jaws I mean, Jaws
2: is famous, too. Ooh, Jaws I, Jaws, too.
3: Jaws, I'll give you, but I don't consider Jaws a, uh, a horror movie. Okay, but, uh, I'll give you
2: that, yeah.
3: But so famous, in fact, that the great Kobe Bryant uh, used to listen to it every game on repeat <laughs> before he took the floor. Well, he wanted did to you... get himself psyched up. I know. What, what are your,
2: what are your because, thoughts on that? Were you, what did you think when awesome. you
3: first heard about that?
2: Well, he understood the movie, and he understood the nature of Michael Myers. He's a psychotic killer who never stops. He is a force of evil. But he got it.
1: I, I love it I love it too. And it's, it's funny because I was like doing my research for this and I found the exact quote and he just says, it was important that it was Michael Myers because the mask itself is void of emotion. It has nothing to do with pressure, nothing to do with hype, nothing to do with camaraderie, just a stone cold killer. And I feel like it's amazing that he extrapolated all of that from the theme. And I think that kind of relates back to kind of your job as a movie maker. I mean, how much of your scores in the movie depend on the actual topic of the movie? or Do, do, you, do you come up with the, the theme as you're creating the movie, or is this an afterthought, and then you just kind of sit in an editing bay and come up with what you've made?
2: It's all afterthought. And uh, in, the hol- in the Halloween case, I went away and uh, for three days uh, recorded and came back with four or five uh, themes, cut them in the movie at the places I thought would work. Uh, it was uh, pretty simple to do, and it worked out
1: perfect. You couldn't think of the horror movie genre without thinking of the Halloween theme, but there's also so many other movies that you've created and and created scapes for. For you, other than Halloween, what movie of yours do you feel like you put the most stock into the score that you created for it?
2: The most stock? Well, one of my favorites is the for uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm, yes. I like
1: that score a lot. Yeah, great I movie. enjoy this. One. It's great movie. It's. Fun. I didn't How's even that? know you created that movie until I started doing my research. Because when I Me think neither. John Carpenter, I think Halloween right away. But, but I think to kind of to piggyback off of that first question that I did have: as the movies budgets got bigger, did you get pressure to have other people score your movies, or was that a hard line thing where you were?
2: What was your first love film or music? Uh, movies. I fell in love with movies. That's my muse. That's, that's it. That's the deal. My the music I grew up with in my household. My dad was a music teacher. But movies was my passion.
3: Well, so what got you hooked? Two-part question. Film and music. What, what were you into when you were young, when you fell in uh, love okay. with
2: Okay. When, well, when I was eight years old, I saw a movie that, uh, that changed my life. It was called Forbidden Planet. Hmm. It was this uh, color space opera, and it had an all-electronic score hmm. done by Lewis and Mimi Barron, and it was transformative for me, and especially the score, as it was absolutely like nothing I'd ever heard before. And I still listen to that score, as a matter of fact. Uh, and, and music, I suppose, uh, the Beatles, I mean, hmm. everybody's. Had an experience with the Beatles, but I did big time.
1: Was that film score what got you into synthesizers? Because I've I've read so many articles about your love of synthesizers, and especially with like the new record I just listened to, Lost Themes Part Three. Obviously, vast electronic world with a lot of synthesizers. Like, what pushed you towards the synth world?
2: That would be uh, a Forbidden Planet. Mm. There was an electronic uh, score, but it was it was recorded before. There were synthesizers, so it was all done. Wow. All sorts of other tricks, yeah. Wow. And uh, but then they developed the synthesizer. I heard Switched On Bach, and I was really impressed. I thought, Wow, listen to this! And so uh, I was impressed with what the synthesizer could do. So uh, it was a chance for me, somebody with uh, uh, average chops or minimal chops, I guess. <laughs> to uh, uh, sound big and sound effective by uh, changing sounds. So that's why I loved it.
1: I fully appreciate your modesty with your modest chops comment, because I don't know that's really how I say it. Like even listening to the new record and even when I'm listening to lost themes, it feels like I'm like, I can see a movie as I'm listening to the record. Like even when you're creating things that aren't for film, on a musical side, are you still kind of having scapes in your head of like where you would put this in a movie?
2: Absolutely. Uh, the, the Lost Themes albums are for the movies in your mind that uh, you can come up with. I provide the soundtrack, you provide the movies. Ooh. And uh, I I agree with you. They, they are very cinematic, or at least they try to be. But in terms of uh, the chops, that's a lot of that's my son on the keyboards, not me i play one or two notes really well
3: (laughs) that's so cool so your dad passed music down to you and then you passed it down to your son that's right that's That's amazing
1: well i mean this is not the only kind of like father-son situation in your musical world because daniel davies who's the son of ray davies am i not am i right here Dave. 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 Okay. How did that come about? Because we're talking about the kinks, obviously. uh, Was that a a pre-existing relationship, or was this just something that morphed musically?
2: Well, Dave and I became friends, and uh, Dave, uh, his family moved to uh, Los Angeles. And then uh, Daniel started hanging out over here, uh, playing with my son. They grew up together. And uh, for various reasons, Daniel ended up living with us. So he's like a brother to my son and he he had he came to music uh, naturally from his dad and he's a virtuoso guitar player so
1: uh,
2: yeah Daniel can play his, his dad's licks and more So yeah it's all in the family here
1: Dante brought this up but your father passed it down to you but your dad was like uh, the head of a music department at a university correct
2: That's correct yeah
1: so, I mean, was that always omnipresent in your household? Like, was there always music around?
2: Always. All always. the time. 24, well, we, we would go to sleep and there would be no music. But then the rest <laughs> of the time there was music. Most of the classical so, music.
3: He, he was a professor at Bowling Green, right?
2: Yeah, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Oh. The, 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 college was, the college was uh, uh, Western Kentucky University.
1: I uh, got it. Okay. okay, got it. Well, So, I mean, if your dad is running a music department, was there bluegrass in the house? Like, what was your dad playing throughout the house? Was it mostly classical?
2: Bluegrass in the house. <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> My dad was uh, a violin player.
1: Ooh.
2: And, uh, yeah, had really, really talented. And, uh, unfortunately, he decided when I was about eight that he would teach me the violin unfortunately i had no talent so that didn't work out too well uh,
1: how did he feel about you going into film rather than going into music where he kind of like like led the path and you went into a different artistic uh artistic path
2: he wasn't too sure about uh the movie business he said to him that was pretty sketchy oh uh, you know music was much more secure but uh he was happy in the end, and then he was very happy that I did scores because he said it was like me having a, a musical career. He hung on for that.
3: For sure. Only a music or a musician would tell somebody that music is more of a secure choice than <laughs> anything else. That's, that's exactly
1: right. That's exactly right. Yeah, in my head, when you said that, I was like, man, I don't know if your dad was in the music industry that I'm in. <laughs> That's great. He
2: was my dad. My dad was one of the founding members of the Nashville Strings. They were a group of uh, of strings that played on uh, pop records of Roy Orbison, Brenda Lee. He played for all these people. Wow, Nashville! So that was his. That's how he moonlit and uh, session musician.
1: I mean, the, if you ever want to be a session musician, Nashville is the place you want to be, because I know that very, very, very well. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, but he so, made some bucks there. That's what he was thinking, I guess.
1: I don't see, know. That's the safer route right there. You make sure you get in the room with the right people and you make your money doing that. That's smart. But, um, yes, sir. And so, John, looking at, at your musical career as of right now, it seems like over the past, like, 15, 20 years, you've really stepped into creating your own thing. What, like, what was the impetus beh- behind, like, kind of, like, not being as involved with film and getting more into music?
2: Well, uh, I got older. And when you get old, you get a little tired, and you don't want to put up with the stress anymore. And uh, the, the last film I did, I was so tired. I actually <laughs> can't do this anymore. So took off. I uh, took time off and just hung out. And, and uh, a long
1: no, I don't think so. Good, don't. I didn't either. I yeah, I don't think to. I would. No, I'm good. Did but it come out? That, it's out? It came out like five years ago. No shit. I'm way off. Yeah, I have no interest in that. Leave it where it is. Don't remake classic shit unless it's Halloween, which in that case, keep giving John Carpenter money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. October 15th. So that was on the list off the list. Let's wrap this week up with some what the fuck we've been listening to. And I actually have like a... Uh, I've been... i be completely honest with you, dude. I went through a little period of time, like recently, where I've been so fucking busy with a lot of the things we have going on or just things in life where like I've been like not listening to a lot of music. And then this past week, I've just been back on the fucking train. And uh, I found this song by an artist who I know through Drake features. His name is Sanfa. Do you know Sanfa? Never heard of. Him. Okay, He's a British uh, piano player, musician. Really interesting voice. Like, very unique voice. And he always records his pianos. They kind of sound like they're in a different room. And I really like this very jangly, very... It sounds like you walk up to a stand-up piano in somebody's house that really hasn't been tuned in a while, and you put a mic in the other room and you're playing. That's beautiful. And it feels very, very like you're at home. And I heard this song. It's called uh, No One Knows Me Like the Piano in My Mother's Home.
0: Holy shit. That's a great song title.
1: And it's... Uh, my my friend Brianna Judge, who's an amazing songwriter, uh, really tried to put me on a Santa a couple years ago, and I just didn't take the I didn't take the hint. And then, uh, the song just came up on like Shuffle for me, and it's fucking gorgeous, Kenny. Gorgeous. It's one of those. Songs that. That, it makes you want to write better songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it, that. If, be
0: inspired. If, make make yourself feel bad to be inspired to write better shit.
1: I always do, man. The, the times when I write my best stuff is when I hear something that I hate because it's so good we talk about this you laugh i get angry that's how we we, we respond but um i i mean samfa is my pick but i want to give a shout out to west side gun who's from griselda who's putting out some amazing records right now um and and then other other than that i'm looking through my list right now uh i mean i always bring up father john misty but like i don't get it I mean, <laughs> really things that, are that good i don't get yeah, it
0: i don't know it's the same with me and hot water music and shit like i just don't fucking care
1: i mean i don't understand how do you do it i don't get it like even fucking fleet foxes when he was singing backups and playing drums for them how do you make things that are that gorgeous i'm in my feels today dude god dang <laughs> uh, kenny what the fuck have you been listening to
0: uh i was incredibly excited to see a new release that i didn't mention earlier because i wanted to save it for my what the fuck i've been listening to there's a, a edm is such a sh- strong word but right. i would call him an electronic producer. He goes by the moniker Boys Noise. He's been around, yeah, right? He's been around for like 20-something years, been around forever. He's remixed fucking Snoop, N.E.R.D., David Lynch, Depeche Mode, Justice, Daft Punk, like all of them, just put out a new fucking record called Plus Minus. And as soon as I saw it come up on the new release, it's like, oh, shit, click it, click the first song, immediately wanted to drive off a cliff because it was so fucking good. Like the sounds and the tones and the movement and the panning and the stereo image and like, fuck man, Boys Noise. I haven't seen him, like, I think it's been like five years or something since his last record and came with it hard again. Boys Noise plus minus, enjoy the fuck out of that record.
1: I always enjoy the conversations me and you specifically get to have on a weekly, like I mean, like fucking like three times a week. yeah, yeah. Quick. I just have been dying for something to make me excited about music again. Cause I mean, I'm yeah. always excited about the creative process and I'm excited about, I love this shit. I really do. It's my favorite thing in the world, but like recently I just have not gotten hit with anything that made me want to like make kill myself cause I was yeah. so happy.
0: You know what I mean? Like that kind of well, thing. That's the thing for, that's the thing for me. It, it, even when it comes to writing and producing music is unless I'm inspired, I'll run up to the studio I'll fuck around for an hour and a half, not like anything and then leave. Like cuz nice. for me I've learned that if it ain't happening, it ain't happening, right? There's guess. no point in fucking forcing it, but when I find new records that inspire me that blow my minds, I immediately get my ass to the studio and I'm there for 16 hours. You know, yeah. it's like there's I'm always looking for that and it comes and it goes. It dips and it dives, you know, and it's it's really cool to get back to that inspirational point where you're like, "Fuck yeah, I'm pumped. This shit's sick. I want to make something like this."
1: On a a comparative note, like I was having a conversation with a friend of mine over the weekend talking about, you know, being an artist who doesn't own his own studio. You do. And uh, just what it must be. We were listening to something. I've been blanking on what song it was, but they had a bunch of uh, people tapping Coke bottles in the mix. Uh And I was like, that's some shit you do when you own the studio and you have no clock and you're sitting around like, wow, I think those Coke bottles would sound really cool in this.
0: Oh, hundred 100%.
1: When I go into a studio, I have like I have to have the An agenda. <laughs> agenda. It's like yeah, whiteboard, this is what we need done. And I would love to just at some point in my life be able to have the creative freedom and not have to think about anything else and go in there and just start laying shit down. And I know you revel in that. Oh, it's
0: where it's where we live. And and I've worked with I've worked with producers where like a drum kit will be set up with the same microphones plugged into the same preamps and same compressors for every band that comes through. Yeah. Never changes. I was fortunate enough to apprentice under a producer who is the exact opposite. Everything gets broken down every time. Yep. What do we want to do? We want to do three mics. We want to do eight mics. You want to use a Tom, no Tom, like and you set it up as such and having my own studio has allowed me to do things like let's record the drums outside. Yep. Let's fucking bang a drumstick against a bong. Let's fucking have a dog bark real quick, like whatever it is. And it's just so freeing and inspiring to just fucking be able to be as creative as you, as you can be.
1: I've been fortunate to have friends like you and uh, my, my buddies, Trace and Joe in Nashville, who allow me to come in and express myself without a clock. When I get to go to Nashville, yeah. I don't have a clock running. They own the space. We can just do whatever we want. And uh, I have a really funny memory of, of asking them. There's a basketball gym attached to the studio that they actually run chords to. Yeah. Hell yeah. And I said, I want to put the drums in the gym and it's like a running joke amongst us down there. Like, it's like, Oh, Colin wants to put the fucking drums in the gym. It was awesome. It worked. It fucking worked, God damn it! Yeah, I, hell yeah. I, I, I revel in those kind of situations where you can be creative and not even think.
0: Just dude, fucking. I'm thinking about moving my studio to my house and then yeah. building panels in a lot of the rooms. Like XLR panels in the bathroom, yeah, in mean, the garage dude, and shit and, like that.
1: Which is fun too, because what's the number one lesson you learn? You don't want hard surfaces, and you just put in a porcelain bathroom, just like bouncing shit off yeah, the wall. Yeah, yeah, well, like it's something sick, dude, dude. That's
0: the thing. I, I record. This will blow some people's mind. Anybody who cares about engineering, I record a room mic. So, so in my tracking room, you've been there. There's a bathroom. The bathroom is in the tracking room, like yes. not in, but you have to go through the door. The from toilet
1: the is room. in the middle of the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: basically. But um whenever somebody's recording drums, I'll leave the bathroom door open and put a mic in there. And it sounds like the heaviest slammed fucking room mic you've ever heard in your life. And like, that's what those explorations teach you and, and show you the way.
1: I love when we're, when we're, we're going in there and we get our basics down, we get our guitars, our bass and our drums. And I always make them solo out the drums. Cause I just want to hear the textures. And uh, Eric Bogax, who was our Philadelphia engineer producer, well, always, he knows I love a good room, mic, and he'll always put an extra one or two in there. And they always sound like absolute trash to hear him in the mix. And you're like, whoa, that yeah. makes it enormous. It's on fucking
0: purpose, man. It's it's all tricks of the trade, man. Tricks of the trade. You just keep learning and keep applying.
1: Producers and engineers, man, you guys have a different wavelength that you operate on. But uh, so that that that's on the guest list this week for Adobe Radio. We're back tomorrow. Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere you get your podcast from, make sure to subscribe and like. Uh, next week, we, I, there was an interview that I actually wasn't a part of, which is yeah, that's right. Wild. You fucking
0: bailed on us, bro. And I Dave did not and I, bail. I had a wedding. Dave, Dave and I tried to handle. We are not nearly as good at hosting as you are, and we felt naked without our friend Colin. But we got <laughs> it done, and uh I can't wait for people to hear it because it was an incredible uh conversation with somebody who's the dopest, most badass manager who fucking signed the Strokes, like. He's got the cred, and he's one of those guys who everybody knows and everybody respects. And if Basin says it's good, it's good. And Tell me, was did, so, did you ask him the question I asked you to ask? Yeah, he laughed in my face and said, Absolutely not. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's go. Love Bro. it. But in, in that conversation, which people will hear next week, that like he goes into depth about what he looks for in a band and what a band should look for in a manager. And like it's just an important conversation to have. So I'm really excited for that one to come out.
1: So it's David Basin next week. We have uh, John Carpenter today. Bunch of people coming out of the pipeline. You guys know it never stops. We'll see you Tuesday on, uh, on Spotify and out music. We'll see you Thursday for green room picks. Kenny, anything else?
0: Go fuck yourself.
1: All right, man. I'm going to do that as soon as I get off. You guys have a great week.